Welcome to the 99 Challenges Podcast. On each episode in this show, we bring you one challenge that your business can face and invite experts to provide insights on overcoming these challenges. This episode is brought to you by Anywhere Consulting. We solve problems for growing businesses. We follow up each episode with more content at the99challenges.com or at anywhere.consulting. Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Peter Benet, founder of Anywhere Consulting. In today's episode, we will talk about one of the most interesting topics of 2020, remote work. As more and more companies are forced to experiment work from home policies due to the COVID pandemic, remote work gained a massive boost. As the topic is so broad, today we will focus on the key benefits of remote work and remote team management. For that, I invited one of the veterans of remote work, Rodolf Dutel, founder of Remotive. Hey, Rodolf, I'm so glad that you're here with us today. Hey, thanks for having me. Awesome. So I understand that remote work is popular now, and it is funny to call you a veteran in this topic, but you truly are one of the first ones who started a company built around remote work. Personally, I also feel like an old school guy within remote work, um, as I'm working remotely exclusively since 2014, plus my consulting business anywhere. We are serving our clients and managing our internal operations fully online as well. So what was your story and how did you end up on founding Remotive? Yeah, so I guess I got started with the work world back when I was graduating from my studies. And right off the bat, I worked in international environment and mm-hmm. got the, the chance to start my career working at Google. And at Google, they assigned me to work on collaboration product. So my job was to call up head of IT CIOs and say, hey, the way you traditionally work is to have an email server in your basement or in your attic and collaborate with people that are within the building. How about we move you to cloud computing and enable people to work from anywhere? Gmail, Google Docs, that was just starting to be good enough in 2010 so that people could work from anywhere. And it opened my eyes to another way to do things. Even though working at Google was an excellent experience, I witnessed people around me spending about an hour and a half to two hours each way commuting to and back from work. And when you get to see people that are very talented and good at what they do, and they still have to spend so many of their waking hours stuck in traffic, bumper to bumper, and cursing at the car next to them in order to get to work, not even to start working. I was starting to think that thing, work could be organized differently. And not long thereafter, I joined a company named Buffer, buffer buffer.com that was specialized in social media. And this funny thing about this company is that they did not have any offices. You could work from anywhere. If you had a laptop and internet connection, it was good enough for you to work from anywhere on the planet. That same year, I started Remotive, which is a company I run now. And Remotive helps connect startups that want or companies that want to hire remote talent with remote talents that want to work remotely. So we are a community, a platform, and a media helping to connect hiring companies with talented workers. Awesome. You mentioned Buffer, and I truly adore how Buffer approaches remote work and actually not just remote work, team culture. So they don't even use anymore that they have a remote team. They have just a team who happens to work remotely, and they invest a lot in transparency, which, again, I highly respect because I do think that transparency 
one of the key driving factors when you have a, a remote first company. What do you think would be the key elements for a great remote team? How one should approach team building, remote team building and remote team management? So I think that before COVID, you had a before and after COVID basically. Before COVID, yeah. you had a bunch of companies that allowed remote work and remote work was a perk. It was something that you list as a benefit, something that was not very common and something that was an upside and a rebel movement against a company that will drag you across town to go to an office. That used to be the, the exception and the norm was going to the office. Then with COVID, uh, everything was flipped on its head. We ended up having companies that were enrolled into what I call forced work from home meaning that you have to work from home right now, which is different from chosen, accepted and mindful remote work, which means I signed up to work remotely, meaning I probably have an office, I probably have some mind space, I probably have some availability to do remote work uh, and quality remote work. So I just wanted to give those two definitions because some of our listeners may be either in forced work from home, as in we have to shut down our office, but business like show must go on, so let's find a way. And other are like, we did choose to work remotely and we're going to make the most out of it. So those two paths can converge, but they've been at the very beginning, they were separate. So back to your question, how do you ensure that you can do quality work remotely, for instance? I've seen a variety of organization being set up differently. It's like a spectrum. On the one hand, you have everyone at the office always, and you need to be able to tap them on the shoulder to pass a message. And the other end of the spectrum, you have asynchronous team that hardly ever meet. You could think about teams in the open source area, such as contributors to Wikipedia. Some people may be working in similar topics halfway across the world, but they've never met. It doesn't keep them from shipping great quality work and contributing together. And between those two extremes, you got pretty much everything under the sun. The advice I always give is that if you want to have a quality remote work environment at your company, you need to be coherent, meaning that Remote work is a consequence of your values and your values is what I think you should get to set first because everything is fair game. If you as a business order say, to me, remote work is only working remotely in the afternoon and come to the office in the morning. That's one way to do it. Some people will like it, other won't, but that's one way to do it. You could also say you can work from anywhere, but you need to fly to a company-wide retreat once a quarter so that we can do some team building. That's another way to do it, much what Buffer did, for instance. So always advice is that companies should be upfront and transparent about how they think remote work is good. I'll give you another example. If I'm a software developer and I'm looking to apply to a remote company, I would like to know before I apply whether you, Mr. or Mrs. Boss, are going to be willing to do a 9 a.m. stand-up every single workday or whether they're going to be left alone to work asynchronously. Because those two different scenarios are so very different. And some people will say, I need to be asynchronous because I want to be more flexible. And other will say, if I don't speak to the team, I won't feel connected. So I'd rather opt in the 9 a.m. Uh, team-wide stand-up. So I'm not pretending to know what's best for everybody. But what I've seen work best every time over and over again is a company clearly laying out what it is they want, how it is they operate. And then as soon as someone will apply to a specific like declaration of intent, then it's the what is what you get effect where 
as soon as you hop in the company, you're not surprised because you read the label on the box before opening the box that said, this is how we work. I, I highly agree that you said that remote work is just uh, amalgam of your values, but I do understand that some companies, they, it is really hard for them to switch from a traditional office setup to a remote work based environment. We are not talking about those companies who are remote first. For them, at least like, to me, I couldn't imagine doing work not remotely. To me, commuting is one of the uh, most boring and most uninteresting ways of spending my time. I don't know, I, I've read in an article that uh, on average, US American people, they do commute like two hours per day on average, which is insane to me. But for us, it was never a choice to switch or not because we started remotely anyway. But for those who... yeah. Those companies who, who, who had a company, they had an operations, they had a team in an office. What would be, what do you think would be the main challenge for them uh, and how to solve that challenge when they yeah. had to switch to a remote work environment? So that's a great question. Most organizations I've been chatting with that did not used to work remotely before the pandemic and had to be transitioning to that during the pandemic. They all ask me about processes. What process should I have in my company? Which I understand. And there are some tweaks you can make for sure. But the overall question here is not about processes. I think it's about promises. What promises were made to the employee that are gainfully employed by your structure? If an employee was joining your company because they love to be able to be mentored face-to-face by the most senior members, if your company had a promise that you will have a lot of physical interaction and you just so happen to have a bunch of employees that are very extroverted and I really are fueled by that. Some people on sales team, for instance, maybe that way. Then you can optimize and you can you know, change your processes, of course, but the real thing is the promises that were made. The promise was that people will get to interact face-to-face and they're not anymore. So yes, I can talk about process, but I'll just have some empathy for First is a very uncertain and tricky period. And then I think it's quite natural that when you shift, you have a tectonic shift from one way to work to another. Well, as human, we creature of habits and we don't love change that much. And chances are a lot in our personal life changed over the last year and a half. So yeah. chances are some of your workers are not going to be happy, even though you do the best of jobs traditionally remotely. In other words, it's doable to improve the situation, but it's not going to be heaven for everybody because some people just want the interaction, which I 100% understand and support. But when it comes to improvement you can have, I think it's a lot about listening the change, like listening how the company is trying to change. So that's asking a lot of questions and also trying to lead by example. What I mean by that is in 2020, a lot of companies found themselves being online all of a sudden. And since they could not meet anymore they just decided to have more meetings more zoom calls and i've seen screenshot of calendars and i've heard stories and i've seen things you just had meetings back to back and you left your remote work day more exhausted than you would your office work day so that's the first thing are we optimizing for output or for busyness which again is more of a value question and a process question so that question how the organization sees itself does management mean i want to make sure that someone has a butts in the seat or have a green 
dot next to the name in Slack, or does it mean that they just need to give the output that was scheduled for them? And if they do it in 20 hours and I pay them for 50 hours, that's fine. <laughs> and the question I often like the question I often ask is if leadership is expecting the output of the team to be just about the same or slightly less than it was to be, are they walking the talk? Are they really doing all they can to set up a good example remotely? Specifically, if a company is going to issue a press release or, or a statement of intent saying, we're going to be the best remote company around, six months later, a year later after the statement, what percentage of the board of directors slash C-level slash director, VP, whatever, are actually working remotely, meaningfully? And when, it, when push comes to shove, meaning we have a big decision to take, are you going to be able to make the decision remotely? If yes, then you could expect your underlings and your team to make those decisions. If not, then you're preaching something and doing something else yourself, which is ungreat. So I see a lot of discrepancies between declaration of intent and what actually happens within companies. And I see a lot of busyness replacing productivity, which has to do with value, but also to the fear of losing control over the situation. Yeah, yeah, controlling and micromanagement are, are great factors with any team management, sadly. I can just personally remember when I was working with ad agencies and anyone who worked uh, in the creative industry can relate to, the, to a situation when you have two to three hours creative meeting with everyone on board and how productive that was, by the way, it wasn't. Replicating that process to the remote work environment, most companies tend to have more meetings, as you said, just because you cannot really sit and slurp your coffee in the offline meeting room, you cannot really do that on a two to three hours Zoom meeting, or I don't know, maybe there are some companies who are doing that. So you have to have multiple mm. shorter versions of meeting just to make sure that you like look busy. Remote work started with the startup companies mainly. And one of the feedback that I get from company owners or senior managers for bigger corporations that, yeah, it's like manageable to work fully remotely for a company that has 50, 20 to 50, maybe a hundred people headcount because you can organize the processes properly there. But how one should work fully remotely with a company that has thousands of people obviously the answer to that is that yeah people are already doing it so hubspot salesforce just to name a few uh, recent examples who just turned to fully remote companies what do you think is there any difference between a startup company and and a like a multinational big corporation when it comes to working remotely i think there is and the reason there is that in most of the startup company we're discussing right now, there were an opt-in mechanism. People were opting in. You were going to the career stage of a remote startup and you applied to work remotely. Whereas if you worked at Salesforce, you would work at Salesforce and then you got given the choice to work remotely or go back to the office. So it's a bit different. Like again, what is agreement you started your journey with. Either you found yourself having a better deal than before, and some people are saying, I commute so much less, I have more time for my family, so remote work is a great deal. Other people said, before pandemic, I could fly 50, 100,000 miles a year, and I will go to crazy lounge airport, I'll have a, the best Amex you can have, and I'll have crazy... It wasn't great for the planet, so 
at the end of the day, I think people will vote with their feet. And I think that we've seen it's doable to have a remote team that is a thousand or a few thousand people strong, automatic, Envision, Zapier, or part of the original company that built their headcount anywhere between 500 to 1,500 people. And they did so remotely. So they managed to jump over the hurdle of international employment early on, about engagement and productivity, think about diversity, think about how to hire and how to let people go remotely as well. Some companies have been trailblazing, and I think a larger organization have been taking notes. Now, having worked in some of those larger organizations, I feel like traditionally they've been organized by hubs. So even the HR policy, if you take a, one of the big four, one of the big five, it's different whether you look at the North America HR policy or the Europe, Middle East, Africa HR policy and APAC. So they already regionalized, if you look at Stripe, for instance, when they decided before the pandemic to open their fifth engineering hub, first one being San Francisco, then they had something like New York, Dublin, London, and then the fifth one was remote. So remote was a sort of a sandbox by itself where they could hire from anywhere within the geography. And they said, that's going to be how we test it. We're just going to say, we need new processes for those good people. We need more attention for those good people. And this is going to be an addition to our real estate strategy, to our culture. And this is going to be a new option. So what I'm saying here is that some company will say, we're going to jump in the deep, deep end of the pool and we're going to become 100% remote. Where others said, let's just say it's part of our organization that's going to become remote. It's going to be a hub, for instance. So there are different ways to go there. That's why I think that now it's going to be offered by most companies, if not all, but not for all positions. That's my best guess here. The 99 Challenges podcast is produced by Anywhere Consulting. We solve problems for growing businesses with specialized marketing and business services. If you want to partner up with us, visit our site at anywhere.consulting. If you want to read more about our podcast episodes or want to become a guest on our show, please visit the99challenges.com. I didn't know about the Stripe example. It's so great. It's so easy to think that you can replicate the existing process or existing hubs that you have and just forget about the fact that you have a location and just do pretty much everything that you did on a location-based team structure but this time without a location. One of the, I guess, key factors of your company is to help people to find talent remotely. Let's talk about how one should approach or start hiring someone remotely. I personally hired a lot of people online. And one of the most neglected steps that people often, often forget is a simple one write a great job post. What do you think, what should be in the best job post? Or do you see any trends in job post creation? I know it's a simple topic to, to discuss, but as, as said, it is often neglected by, by employers. It's such an important one. Like part of what we do as Remotive is to look into companies that are hiring remotely. So we publish a list of 2,500 companies and internally we have, we track over 20,000, really, we just handpick a few things. So I've literally spent my days looking at job description to see what's out there and so on and so forth. So mm-hmm. I couldn't agree more. It's a very important thing. And think of it that way. If you want someone to join your team and spend most of their waking hours working for you, with you, 
how much effort are you ready to put in the process of selecting that person? Because yes. you'd want to be with you hopefully for years and, and share part of the professional journey with you. So the effort you're going to be putting into being specific, being transparent, being upfront, being thorough, all of that is the first window of how you work as a recruiter or as an early stage founder. So when you found a job description that's very vague, unless it's for a big logo and you say they have their reasons, usually it's ignored and turned off for people. And the more senior the applicant you seek, the most thorough your job description should be as well, because chances are talented uh, people already have jobs that they're very happy with. So they even need to consider working for you. They need to understand all the intricacies. So when you bring that to remote setup, that means I, am I going to be working with people synchronously or asynchronously? Are you welcoming applicants from the geography I'm from? Like if I'm an American and based in Croatia, is that a yes? Is that a maybe? No. Am I going to be emotionally and, and physically, like mentally investing myself into applying to your company if I'm not even sure I make the cut? That, that's a very tricky situation for an applicant to be in. And of course, you need to understand potentially what pay is and what perks are and what do we say about vacation? Is it uh, American style with like 10 PTO day per year or the European? And, and are you working four day per week or five day per week? Do you have diversity in your team? If so, how do you go about that? And if not, do you want it to change or is it something that's not a criteria for you? Diversity in the US, diversity in Europe, different definition for most. So that's also interesting to see how it's articulated. And all those things brought in a new trend that's been very 2020, all the 2021, of people having the job description notion rather than applicant tracking system, just because it felt like uh, oftentimes they build a culture decks and they value on notion files. And they mm -hmm. feel like candidates can navigate a private slash public wiki around decisions that have been made, culture values, interviews, and so on and so forth. Again, the best positions you'll find often have the most information laid out clearly. And that could be as simple as referencing to your company's blog. If you're sharing the good, the bad, and the ugly about how you built your company, it doesn't have to be a 20 page description, but I should be able as an applicant to find the answers I need before getting serious about doing anything. And also if you ask me to do work for you, let it be paid work. I think one of the, the key factors that we talk so much often during this uh, conversation is transparency. Do you think that remote work will drive somehow the other company's transparent policies? So it is really important to, to find everything online about the company, how they work, how they do their culture, how they yeah. do their projects, and so on and so on. I think that we're going to see across the board, if they want to make it the digital slash remote work, they have to be more explicit. So being more explicit and saying what you mean is going to be a need. Otherwise, everything's going to go south. So being explicit is going to be a new norm, I think. Whereas transparency, I think, is not evenly distributed. What I mean by that is some companies will take the opportunity to say, now we work remotely, so maybe that 40-hour job is just a question mark hours job as long as you get your job done. And other companies will have a more economically interested output on this. So they'll say, let's have every single employee install 
a screen capturing software that's going to track your mouse activity, that's going to take a screenshot of you, it's going to make sure you work, and we're going to control the work you do. And that's not as infrequent as people think. I think many companies, not all, but a good chunk of companies are going to go towards control. Another chunk of companies are going to go towards transparency. But yes, remote work is going to be in flexibility and you're going to be more explicit, but I'm not sure it's necessarily going to be driving transparency just as much. Just like in the workplace, if you have a company with a 50-year culture of checking on your work and making sure that mid managers are very powerful in their reporting, then some people are gonna think they're better off just tracking every click you make because that's just a continuation of what they had in the office pre-pandemic. I don't even think that they had the same thing in the office. They just want to control. They They just want to replicate the fact that they can lean over to someone's computer when they did it in the office this time. There is no office, so yep. time tracking. I, I, I do agree, by the way, that time tracking is important when you're doing projects. It's really great to measure how much time you spend on, on certain aspects. You can learn so much from it. But tracking time just for the sake of it, just for control measurements, I don't think it's, it's valuable. So in terms of remote hiring solutions, I think we can group the solutions into three different categories. Uh Um, Category number one should be your usual suspects of freelance sites. So Upwork and the others, Fiverr. I think people use those sites when they need a quick fix. And the second uh, group should be, I think, the hiring uh, companies, like recruitment companies, like TopTal. Mm-hmm. Uh, where they can outsource uh, already wetted freelancers to to companies. I understand that this is a great solution too, especially if you don't want to invest too much in, in, in the hiring process. And there are the third, the usual job boards that you have exclusively tailored to remote work like your, your company as well. So what would be your advice when someone should use exclusively a job board instead of the other two that I mentioned? Or if you think that there are other categories, feel free to to argue with that. Sure. I think that it really depends what need you need to answer. If you need that logo refreshed from green background to red background, yeah, a port fiber any day. If you had very specialized work, maybe that's a great, like those are great sites. I'm not a customer myself, (laughs) but I understand they have specialists at times. So that's good. When it comes to TopTal and ClevertTech and other agencies, I've been on calls with London-based companies saying, I need 15 developers to start working in two-week time, and I need them to be at this hourly pay. Well, if that's what you need, you've got to go towards a some sort of a consultancy slash outsourcing slash offshoring 2.0 company that's mm-hmm. going to sort you out. So if it's a budget constraint at scale, I think those are great. Same if you're enterprise government, you probably have more accreditations than, than most pure players. Then I think there's the last category. And, and, and finally, I'll talk about remote job boards. The last categories are uh, headhunters. If you do want a full-time equivalent in your team, uh, you may want to turn towards headhunters. The only thing is that most headhunters I met are specialized in some job ca- categories and geographies. And oftentimes they charge 20 to 25% of their first year salary. So if you're looking at someone who's got a reasonable pay, 
you may create candidates, but it's just likely to be a different budget. So again, that's depending what you're looking for. What I see a lot of startups do is to say, we're starting to hire remotely or we want to hire remotely through different channels. And to do, we want to reach out to an audience that is happily and gainfully employed right now. But if we find a different setup, a better gig, you find something we're excited by, we would consider jumping ship. So basically passive job seekers, not people that are currently marketing themselves, but people that are like, I have a good yeah. situation. Maybe I'll do something better later on. And that's the audience we tend to cater for. People who work in technology oftentimes have at least one key experience in a tech hub. Then they wanted to go home or have a career change. And they still want to maintain the cell level of ambition. And that's exactly why we write content, why we distribute what we do to continue like gathering this audience since 2014 in order for companies that look for marketing manager, customer success representative, or front-end developer to have a central website where they could say, I don't care much what the candidate comes from, or maybe have some small set criteria. And here it is. I will use you as a megaphone to amplify your current efforts. So instead of just tapping into your city friends or a work connection that you have on LinkedIn, you just open the floodgates and try to recruit internationally. Sure. By the way, you mentioned headhunters and, and recruitment companies. So if you go to, I don't know, monster.com, most of the job ads that you see there are from recruitment companies. If you go to, to your setting, what if most of the job ads that I see there are directly from companies. Yeah. And, and not from recruitment companies. Do you, and I honestly, I don't really know how remote headhunting would work or would it work at all? Do you think that recruitment companies and headhunters will have, well, a slice in the pie in remote work or solutions like yours will take over there? Somehow? Yeah, great question. So a couple of things. First, yeah, we work 99% direct with companies. We often, yeah, once in a while we have a recruiter coming, but we're 99% direct and remote, which we're happy about because then we are sure about the quality of the end client and it's not only like a mystery gig that you're not quite sure what you apply to i think the reality of headhunting today is that it's mostly useful hard to fill positions and the second reality there is that hard to fill positions are very likely to have had exposure to certain hubs for instance if you look for a engineering director it's very likely that this person at some point throughout their career had a stint working at one of the big four or had a stint working the major global tech hubs. So as it stands in 2021, uh, a lot of headhunting is done on past network, like typical like Buffer or other companies were looking for a VP of product. You're looking for a VP of product for a software as a service company. That's 15 to 20 year experience. On top of it, you may want to have candidates that are diverse and not only your usual suspects that are in job hunt right now. So that takes networking in circles of people that already have been in the business for 20 years. And as it stands, they almost all have some link to California slash New York, Boston area. I think this will change. And I think there's the, the, the bright future ahead for industry professionals that can rally people around a given theme, such as CFO International, for instance, and then can find CFOs that can work around the world and have experience leading, say, an American or, or a French company. 
because they mm -hmm. can be based anywhere as long as they know the specific thing they need to do for the market. So I think we headed towards shuffling cards a little bit more and having more boutique agencies. But for now, those any salaries above two hundred thousand dollars, usually they work in the U.S. or in the U.K. at some point. Yeah, most of these uh, senior positions are tied to location, as you said. But since working remotely means explicitly that you have the access to the global workforce anymore. Yeah, it's getting these. better. It's getting or, better. Now you have second or third generation. Like you get a bit VP of product director than VP of product in two or three companies. And now you do it from Spain or you do it from Mountain View. It doesn't matter anymore. Like it's just what it is. Do you see any geography trends, by the way, from your company or from any trends that you spot? because you're active in a remote space anyway, that where most of the employers come from and where the most of the employees or the applicants are coming from. I think that Asia Pacific and Australia in particular, they've been used to work with sister offices in different time zones just because of location. So they're pretty, yeah. pretty flexible and open and remote work, especially since there's a shortage of developer in Australia. So you have to look elsewhere. Americans have been leading the trend just because, again, shortage of developer, if Microsoft is able to offer 180, 200,000 to someone who's fresh out of college, then you've got to think that talent is not linked to your zip code and that you can hire in different location. So that opened the game to people being hired elsewhere. The UK have traditionally followed the US, Canada, same. You've got mainly in Europe that has really changed due to COVID because now it's an option. But I do not know how strong the going back to the office effect is going to be. As in, technology company will stay remote. But like the biggest change we get to see is that so I work at Accenture Management Consulting for a year, a long time ago. If you worked with a consulting firm, people are built by the hour. And it's best to see people you pay because then you know why you pay them. If you pay them and you don't see them, it's very hard to justify fees in management consulting. Yeah. So I think it's an entire branch. Like things may shift towards either high-end boutique consulting, McKinsey, like and then there will be an opening for a company that will do outsourcing and offshoring for lesser tasks that do not require to be in offices in a in a big, you know, glass tower in the in the downtown of whichever major city you are. Uh, shelling out crazy hourly salaries for those consultants. So consultancy, I think, is not going to have a great time coming out of this. But mm -hmm. they'll adapt, I'm sure. Sure. I, I spoke uh, with uh, an Oxford graduate consultant like five years ago, and he explained in a very simple manner how big consulting companies work and why they can charge such fees because they have locations all around the world. And when they have a problem in, I don't know, Southeast Asia, they just simply ask the European office, how did they solve that problem and transfer and translate that problem solving to that culture and vice versa, which is at the end, essentially how a remote company um, should work anyway. So I don't really see the point of justification. Traditional for... management consulting is ticket management plus yeah. PowerPoint presentation twice a month. <laughs> let's close this conversation with some practical tips so what would you advise to someone who wants to find the best talent for their company remotely how 
should they start? What should be the, I don't know, three to five key steps they should be aware of? Yeah, I think you should be quite clear about what you need and who you need in terms of addition. So spending some time chatting with your peers, chatting with other companies that you know or, or that you've seen hire remotely successfully, I think that's a great way to benchmark what others have done and get friendly advice from there. People feel very inclined to share. So I think that's a great start. And then realizing that it's going to take time to find the right person. Chances are, if you really want that great addition to your team, uh, you'll take time to write the job description, do interviews, and then uh, get the trial period to see whether the person is even going to work out. Because just like in the offline work, you need to test whether that's going to go through at all. So budget more time that you need. If you can have a date by which you will close the application and add it to the job description, this is a healthy sign of urgency. And if you can also tell applicants by what date they should hear back, even though it's a kind response saying it did not work out, I think that's a very appreciated way to do business as well. And finally, if you need to broadcast your offers, if you have questions about international employment, pay, culture, what have you, just drop me an email at rodolf at remotely.io. And if I cannot answer, I'll give you resources. If I can answer, I'll just let you know what I can do. Perfect. Thank you very much. Thank you for sharing all of these insights. I hope you could provide valuable insights for those who are interested in switching their business to remote only, or they are looking for hire someone from the global talent pool. Make sure you use remote to do so. We will cover more business challenges in our upcoming episodes. As always, we will follow up this show with more content on our site at the99challenges.com. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for tuning in to the 99 Challenges show. We follow up each episode with more content at the99challenges.com or at anywhere.consulting. Have a specific challenge you want us to discuss? Want to be a guest on our show? Feel free to drop us a line at info at anywhere.consulting. Until next time, take care and grow.